If you have a Bible with you, perhaps you would like to turn to the Gospel of John. I'm going to be reading for some of you very familiar words. It's in John chapter 3. I'm going to read from verse 9. John chapter 3, I'm going to read from verse 9. It's an interview which Jesus had with a, a man called Nicodemus and he was known as the teacher of all Israel, a religious man, a man who feared God, a man who knew the Bible very, very well. He was careful to observe all the uh, rules and regulations of his religion and yet in spite of all that, he didn't know God. And so he comes to Jesus to have a talk with him because he's seen the power that is flowing out of the ministry of Jesus Christ. He's seen the miracles, he's seen the signs and the wonders and he's come to a conclusion that no man can do this sort of thing unless God is with him. Although theologically, Jesus presents him with a number of problems. And he comes to Jesus by night because he doesn't want anybody to know that he's coming and instead of having some deep theological discourse Jesus tells this man that there's one thing that must happen to him. And he says, now this is the one thing that you must be sure about and that is that you have been born again. You must be born again. And so from verse 9, Dick and Demas answers and says to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? Truly I say to you we speak that which we know and bear witness of that which we have seen and you do not receive our witness. I told you earthly things and you do not believe. How shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no one has ascended into heaven but he who descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes may in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world but that the world should be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now these words which I've just read and this important discussion they weren't simply a matter of life and death it was even more important than that it was a, a matter of heaven and hell. And what I mean by that is this, that we often say, oh, this is a matter of life and death, meaning that a person's physical life or death depends upon quick action in a situation. But even more serious is that we should also realise that there's a far greater issue, and that is the issue of heaven and hell. I was just thinking as I was meditating this afternoon of maybe lots of young men who laid down their lives in the First World War and for them and for their families it was a tragedy. 
and you may remember in your youth, I certainly do, of people who were in that category. I know the school that I went to, we had a memorial plaque of all these names and every November the 11th we used to read these names out with great solemnity in the school assembly. And I was just thinking now that those who died in that war and those who survived that war, they've all been levelled out now because pretty well everybody now would have died naturally. And here we are just, what, 70 years later perhaps, and now that whole thing has been equal. It doesn't really matter much whether you died in that war or whether you survived that war because the whole thing's been levelled out now. But the much more important issue was did those who died in that war, did they die in Christ or did they die out of Christ? The much more important issue of those who survived the war is did those who survived the war, did they finally die in Christ or did they die out of Christ? Because you see, that's a matter of heaven and hell a much more important issue than even life and death. And I feel that God's got two objectives tonight because I recognise that the large majority of us here tonight already know the Lord. We've already passed from death to life. We already have eternal life. But I feel that God's got two purposes in this message tonight. One is to touch anyone amongst us who has not yet been born again. And that's the priority tonight. But I believe there's a second purpose, that is that the, 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 if you like, the reality, the, the awesomeness of heaven and hell should grip all of us, beloved, so that we have a different attitude to those who have not yet come into the, the life that we are enjoying tonight. That it will grip us in a new way. And that we would see with fresh eyes the awesomeness of this matter of heaven and hell. Because in the Bible and from the mouth of Jesus particularly, both heaven and hell are vivid realities. And he himself says that there's only one person who's ascended into heaven, who's come down to talk about it, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He has the right to teach about heaven, and he has the right to teach about hell, because he is familiar with them in a way that no other man that's ever walked the earth is familiar. And if we reject his words, then we're in great danger indeed. And I want us to spend a little while looking at heaven and then looking at hell and getting a, a taste of the reality of these awesome uh, ends for every one of us in this meeting tonight and everybody who lives on the face of the earth. Your husband at home or your own children or the people you work with or the people that you're in school with or the people that you met on holiday, or the people that you write to in another country, all these people, their future is a matter of heaven or hell. One day, sooner or later, they're going to enjoy the blessings of the one, or they're going to experience the dreadful awfulness of the other. And it's as, as relentless and as certain, even more certain, than tomorrow's sunrise. So let's look at heaven. And the first thing that I want to tell you, and I really don't intend to go through all the mass of scriptures because it would take me some time to do that, but I'm going to just really give you the biblical perspective of heaven and the biblical perspective of hell. I'm going to trust God's spirit to make them vividly real to us tonight. And that that impression will last. So that when we go from this meeting... It's going to go on working in our hearts because I believe the main fruit of this meeting will not be tonight, it'll be later. There will be fruit tonight. But the main fruit, God told me, will be later on. And the first thing that we must note is that the heavenly state 
is physical, emotional and spiritual. That is, in this heavenly realm, there's going to be a physical existence for each and every one of us. That we will have a body, we will have emotions and we will have a spirit. It's not going to be just a sort of a, a, a bodiless spirit floating through the atmosphere and, and certainly not someone sitting on a, on, a, on a cloud sort of playing a harp and all these ridiculous pictures that we see. But it's going to be like life on this earth but fuller and richer and more wonderful in ways which cannot be described because the Bible says that it has not entered into the mind of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him it's beyond our understanding in one sense because we cannot enter the realm of heaven but I do know this that there are a number of people that have tasted the heavenly realm that have been brought back from the dead having died in Christ and I've heard the testimony of some um, as they've spoken it, I've read the testimony of others as they've written it and there's not a single one of them that wanted to come back not one of them it was so glorious that when Jesus said well look you've got to go back because they're praying hard for you and you have to return just to finish the work I've given you they said oh dear I really got to it's an utterly utterly glorious and wonderful realm so much fuller and richer in every dimension than anything that we've ever touched or experienced here upon earth. It is physical, it is emotional, it's spiritual. Every dimension of us is going to be just enlarged to fullness. We're going to have all the, if you like, the weightings of the fall. They're going to be taken off us. I believe every one of us will have a mind at least equal to Einstein. We're going to have brains that are going to be amazing. I mean, if you've never learned to use a computer, well, you'll have your chance you can show them in the, you know you can show your kids look I can do it as well as you can now because I've got this marvellous new brain we're going to have a, a musical ear like Beethoven or something like that we're going to be so musical everything is going to be to the fullest richest dimension can you imagine that just think what music we will make together oh hallelujah and we're going to have such a, a development of our artistic appreciation we're all going to be at least like Michelangelo we're going to have every dimension of, hu of human personality just stretched and broadened and enlarged and we are just going to be so fantastically big made gloriously big by the hand of the living God. There's going to be a perfect ecology. We're told in scripture in Revelation 21.1 that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And that's just going to be so wonderful. If you just look at this world and that's just a temporary sort of passing little place for God to bring forth his people but the eternal earth and the eternal heaven, what will it be like? Have you ever thought about it? And here we are struggling to keep this sort of world in shape but God says I'm going to, I'm going to dispense with it one day and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And in this new body of ours, which the Bible doesn't describe too fully, but it's, it's an incredible body, it's going to be like the body which Jesus had when he was raised from the dead. It's going to be able to move in incredible speed from one place to another. If you want to go and see your auntie in Australia, you can be there now. That's how I, I imagine it anyway. We're about to move at incredible speed. We will be able to sort of just enter a room just without knocking on the door. That's what Jesus did, so watch out what you're saying. <laughs> I can hear you, and the person appears in the middle and says, I heard what you were talking about. 
It's going to be so exciting and so thrilling. The, the dimensions of this life are going to be so wonderful. It's going to be as different to a, a caterpillar crawling upon a leaf and then one day becoming a butterfly. Except it's, it's much, much, much more than this. And we're told that this new body of ours, we, that there will be no pain. The Bible says there will be no death. There will be no sorrowing or suffering. It says God himself shall wipe away all tears from our eyes. There's going to be perfect health perfect vitality, we're all going to be lovely if you've got to be a bit of an ugly body now don't worry because you're going to have a beautiful new body you'll be recognisable but you'll still, you'll be so lovely have you ever dwelt on these things beloved? you should let God teach you about these things it's such a, a wonderful dimension and everything which is a drag in this life will be taken away, just think of it, no pain It says, God himself shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes. There will be no pain, no suffering, sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Nobody's going to be sitting down and saying, oh, I do feel depressed. It will be unknown. Can you imagine what it will be like? No sickness, no suffering, no sorrow. And beautiful, vital, healthy bodies which never feel the touch of sickness. Just... Not even having to eat unless we want to, but we can eat if we want to. Just so wonderful. So utterly wonderful. But I think perhaps the most thrilling part of this whole picture is that we're going to have a perfect character. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3 and it's verse 2 that when we see him, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And God's going to complete the good work that he's begun in many of us and even if he hasn't started, he can start with you tonight. But what God's promised is that everybody that he starts with, he will complete them and make them exactly like Jesus in character. Now just imagine that. If I were to say, how many of you, you here would like to be just like Jesus? I think pretty much everybody would raise their hands, wouldn't we? Well, let's do it then. We don't, just like Jesus. Exactly. What a thrill. And just imagine living in a street where everybody else is like Jesus. And everybody else in your house is like Jesus. Just imagine, not only you being perfect in character, but everybody else being perfect in character. That the whole of society is just like Jesus in the beauty of his character, his person. Just his love, and his compassion, and his understanding, and his graciousness, and his power, and his glory. And you're just going to be living in a society of people, each one of whom is going to be like that. Can you imagine what it's going to be like? You won't hear a cross word ever. You won't feel cross. Everybody will be fighting to do the washing up, not get somebody else to do it. And it won't just be at Christian meetings. You'll feel like it all the time. Just imagine this perfect society. Because that's what heaven is. It's, it's, a, it's made up of people, each one of whom has been made perfect like Jesus living together in a perfect society. And the Bible says that nothing that defiles, nothing that contaminates, nothing that even makes a lie is going to be allowed in. So we haven't got to fret too much about the mess this world's in. We need to do our best while it continues and I believe God's going to do wonderful things in the next few years but eventually this world and all that's in it is just going to be wiped away. God's just going to roll up that's the end of it. So to struggle to get position or power or possessions in this world is sheer madness. 
once you read the scriptures and see what God's prepared for those that love him it's all going to be rolled up and the thing that matters is whether you have been born again we're also told there's going to be perfect relationships that we're going to become one as God is one the unity of the Godhead is going to be the unity of his people just imagine what that's going to be like no more divisions no more hurtful splits but just perfect unity in the Lord Jesus Christ can you imagine that? do you want to be part of it? as I read these things I thought oh God what am I hanging around here for? (laughs) perhaps the most wonderful thing of all is the unclouded presence of God I said I wasn't going to read any scriptures but I, I can't resist reading one or two I could read chapter after chapter that's the problem but let's just me read this from verse 3 of, Je- of Revelation 21 and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the tabernacle of God is among men and he shall dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be among them come down to verse 7 he who overcomes shall inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son and then comes the but but the cowardly listen, the cowardly I had a man recently who I tried to get to come to this meeting tonight actually he completed an extension on my house and he and all the workmen became very very touched by what we were telling them about the Lord Jesus Christ and we had him round for a meal and we sat and we talked and he listened carefully and he said I really understand this now he said you know what I feel like I said what he said well he said just imagine a fancy dress party he said now if I'm putting on fancy dress and going to a fancy dress party he said I would feel okay because everybody was looking as stupid as I was he said but imagine putting on fancy dress and going to the office he said I'd feel a right Charlie he said I can't be the first one I haven't got the courage he said I couldn't be the first one but I want so much what you've been talking to me about you know my heart is still crying for this man do you understand what I'm saying maybe you're in this meeting and you feel exactly the same you look around and you say these people have got something and I'd love to be part of it but crumbs what will they think of me tomorrow when I go to work and I say I've, I've become a Christian I've become born again I don't think I could cope with it and so out of cowardice you know many many people miss the kingdom of God and look what it says in the Bible it's the first thing it says he who overcomes will inherit all these things and I will be his God and he will be my son but the cowardly the unbelieving the abominable murderers immoral people sorcerers idolaters and all liars their part will be in the lake that burns with fire is he just missing it through cowardice and I fear for that man and I fear for anybody here this meeting tonight who's in the same condition I'd love this but oh, I don't know if I could go around I'd feel a right Charlie I don't think I could do it you're missing it for that so the most wonderful part of it all is that we're going to live together in the unclouded fellowship with the living God you know that's indescribably wonderful I don't know whether you've ever sensed the presence of God to some degree I have and it's so wonderful when God comes near I've had this joy a few times I just felt God come into my room and fill my room and I just I just didn't know what to do I said oh Lord I'm so full of joy I think I'm going to burst have you ever, some of you must have felt like that 
But on that day, when we come into the heavenly realm, God's going to be with us in unclouded relationship. What an amazing thing. So think about that when you're doing the nappies and you're wondering how on earth you're going to pay the next lump of the mortgage. Really, these things have got to be seen in perspective, haven't they? One day, maybe sooner than you think, if you've been born again, God's going to call you into the heavenly realm. And all this is going to be your eternal life forever. Just imagine. And many, many more things that I haven't time to describe tonight. No wonder Paul said in the Philippian letter, for me to depart and to be with Christ is far better. He said, it's much better. I'd love to go, but I've got a job to do on earth and until I finish it, I can't go. You know, I've been with people several times when they've died and I've been with Christians when they've died and I've been with non-believers when they've died and I think the most thrilling thing is to be with a real believer who's absolutely right with God when they're leaving this world. I remember a man in Bombay, he was a fairly high up official in the Reserve Bank of India. He'd been a, a nominal Christian for years and he and his family came to the church where I was leading in Bombay. They were regular churchgoers but never been born again. And during the course of my ministry, the whole family was saved. Every member was born again. And this man contracted cancer of the liver. He had tremendous pain and then the last two hours of his life, he had a dear old mother and her husband used to be an evangelist who died years ago. And, and this, this grandmother's ambition was that her son shouldn't have been a bank official, but he would have been a preacher of the gospel. And she prayed and prayed and prayed for this man. And finally, he left the things... His heart was detached from the prosperity of this life and, and he, he then began to really turn his heart towards God and became quite a witness. And in the last two hours of his life, and I remember this so vividly, he just sat up in bed in hospital and he said to this gathered company, and in, the, in India it's, you, know, you tend to have everybody there, all the respectful officials from the bank were there, all the family was there, there was just dozens of them, dozens of them, in the room and outside, in the corridor outside. And he looked at his... Uh, what she said he said I've got just two hours he somehow seemed to know he'd got just two hours to live and he called each one of these people to him and he told them that he was going to uh, go and be with the Lord he exhorted some of these bank officials that they should trust in Jesus some of them were Hindus and there was people who were in tears and it was such a, a moving experience the last thing he did was he called his little son who's now Arun Philip, whom some of you will see on the India video, he's now serving God in the church in Bombay. And he said now, he said, I'm going to go and to be with Jesus. And I want you to be a, a good boy and do what mummy says. And just be obedient. And then one day you're going to come and join me. And then finally he called his old mum and he said, Mum, he said, I'm going to go and be with Jesus and I love you so much. And she said, she said, this has been the most wonderful two hours he said, she said, my son at last has become a preacher. <laughs> and there was, no, there was no sorrow, there was just an incredible joy. And then, exactly on the two hours, he just sat up in bed and he, he looked, and we couldn't see it, but he, he, said, he said, the Lord's come. And he said, he's come with some angels and it's absolutely wonderful. And he said, Lord, I'm coming to you. And he just went back into the pillar and we all just burst into praise. You couldn't help it. The place was so full of joy. I remember one of his nieces, about a 21-year-old girl who was near to me, and she was 
crying, but it was, it was emotion, it wasn't sadness. She, and she said, oh, that was so wonderful. She said, I will never ever be afraid of death now. I've seen, it's just a gateway to something much, much more wonderful. And I wanted to go with him. We all sat there feeling that we were the disappointed ones. You know, we were still stuck in his hospital room and he'd gone into glory. I remember another occasion um, when I was, because I used to work as a research worker in Kodak and I remember a, a colleague of mine who was also a fine Christian, Dr. Hunt, who led the colour research in Kodak, a very famous scientist and he came back absolutely glowing. He came to my office, he said, Alan, he said, I've just seen something wonderful. I said, what's that? He said, I've just been with, with one of the the elders of our church who's just died. He said, well, that would be wonderful. <laughs> he was all glowing. He said, it was wonderful. He said, I wish I could have got all these unbelieving scientists and stuck them out there and said, now look and see a Christian die. And I let, let me tell you, there's a living God. He said, it was absolutely wonderful. He said, he picked all the hymns for his funeral. He, and he, he said, he just, he, and he was just glowing. He said, he said, I can't wait. He was an old man of about 70-something. His wife had already died. He said, I just can't wait. He said, he said make sure it's a real glory time. And he was so excited. And then he went to be with the Lord. To depart and to be with Christ is far better. Providing you've been born again. That realm, that heavenly realm, is so utterly, indescribably wonderful. And if you miss that, beloved, when the way in has been made for you and for me, then you are absolutely stupid and foolish. I can't use any other words. You're an absolute fool if you miss it because God has made it so plain and so open that if we just obey what God says then that can be our eternal habitat. We can live with the Lord with renewed glorious bodies in a, a realm of existence which just is so wonderful it cannot be put into words. It's just, just out of this world. Wonderful and glorious. But the other side is that there's also a hell. And the Bible has quite a lot to say about hell. And the main thing it tells us is that it really is there. Hell is also an eternal state. The Bible tells us that those that do not go to heaven, that do not enter that heavenly realm because they have not received eternal life, that they will go on existing, but in an existence which... Uh, the worst dimension is that they're going to miss everything that I've described. Now it's a little bit hard to work out the, the, what is figurative and what is literal in what the Bible describes of hell. But I tell you, even the figurative language is so awful that the reality must be even worse than that because the Bible can't properly describe heaven. I don't think it can properly describe hell in words. But it does give us certain clear ideas. The first thing, again, is that it is clearly an existing which has got a physical and an emotional and a spiritual dimension. Jesus speaks in Matthew 10:28, for example, he says, don't fear those that can kill the body, but you fear the one who can take both body and soul and destroy it in hell. Now the word destroy does not mean to annihilate and to take away. The idea behind this Greek word is that it's ruined. Completely ruined. It goes on existing, but it goes on existing in a completely ruined state. That's the idea behind this word. 
and there's, a, there's an existence which just goes on and on and on and on and the awful part about it is that there is no relenting from the condition which we now find ourselves in. And the Bible describes several, if you like, characteristics. Perhaps the worst of them is to be, as it says in um, the Bible, in Ephesians 2.12 for example, it says, without God and without hope. It talks about being cast out from the presence of God. If you go to 2 Thessalonians for example, chapter 1, I'm just going to read a few verses there it says in verse 7 the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels dealing out retribution to those who do not know God that's the test, do you know God? and he will deal out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction eternal ruin if you like away, cast out and cast away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power that's the worst aspect of hell is that there's going to be a a casting out from the presence of God which just goes on and on and on and on and on if you can imagine being put into a space capsule and being fired off into space in one of these sort of long range sort of, you know, uh, spacecraft that's supposed to go to Jupiter or to Mars and supposing it misses its target and it just goes on and on and on travelling out into space in greater and greater and deeper and deeper darkness and there's nobody there but you that, I believe, is an approximation to what hell's going to be like cast into outer darkness, beloved and don't think it's going to be a jolly party with all your equally sinful friends and all these ridiculous pictures that the devil paints to try and take away the sting of hell one of the most awful aspects of hell is going to be its loneliness there's no fellowship in hell but you're alone in utter, utter darkness just going out and out and out and away and away and away from the presence of the living God you know that absolutely frightens me I've been around when men who don't know the Lord have died I tell you it's awful I was in a hospital bed once when God was dealing with me next to a man who cursed and swore his way into hell it was, it was one of the worst nights I've ever had and it, it, I'll never forget it and some of the great atheists who could mock and jeer and laugh when they were in hell I tell you when they died they screamed in terror Voltaire was one of them he screamed in terror at the approaching judgment of God I was just hearing, of a, uh, hearing a nurse tell me of some of her experiences she said one man he just sat up and he said I can see the Lord on his throne and he said I'm lost I'm lost I'm lost and he died like that another man who said I can just feel myself sinking he said help me, help me, I'm sinking I'm sinking into the pit, help me, I'm sinking it's up to my waist, it's going over my head help me, help me save me from the terror of the Lord when he was alive and well he, was, he could curse and joke and blaspheme like anybody else 
And with those words he died. Hell is an utter reality, beloved, just as real and just as terrifying as heaven is absolutely wonderful. To be cast out from the presence of God. All right, says God, have your way. You don't want me. You don't want a relationship with me. Right, I release you. You just go into outer darkness. A second dimension of hell, which is frequently mentioned in the Bible, is the torment of hell. It's got certain pictures of like being in a burning um, furnace and all sorts of things. And I'm not really sure how much of this is figurative, how much of this is real, but however you look at it, it's, it's awful. But what I would imagine is the worst dimension of this is the torment of having sin, which you can never ever get rid of. You just carry with you in the full consciousness of that, that realm, you carry with you all the sin which you have refused to let Jesus take away for you at Calvary. And it's going to be with you forever. And it will torment you and torment you and torment you. your mind will go over and over and over the sins that you've committed because you've not allowed God to blot them out. Just tormenting, restless, 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 restless failure ever, 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 ever to find peace. Can you imagine it? It speaks in the scriptures Tremendously strong language. It says there will be wailing, uncontrolled distress, and gnashing of teeth. People will be so distraught. And they'll realise that there is no way back. No way back. I tell you, it's a serious thing, beloved. And then another dimension is that it says at the end of Revelation 22, let those that are filthy, let them be filthy still. Let those that are unclean, let them be unclean still. Let those that are... And and it just talks about this eternal condition. You know, even though we are in rebellion against God, some of us, nevertheless, there's a restraint of God upon our lives which is preventing us from being as foul and as wicked and as filthy as the devil's trying to make us be. Now some of you have tasted sin pretty deeply but I tell you all the time there was the restraining hand of God not allowing you to go as deeply into sin as the devil would like to have pushed you. And even that was bad enough. But I tell you when you go into that hell dimension when you go into the eternal dimension then all restraint is going to be taken off. There's going to be no restraining hand of God and the devil then will be able to plunge you deeper and darker and more obscenely into every foul, filthy thing that you never even imagined in this life. And you are going to be utterly, utterly ruined. That's what being destroyed means. Do you understand that? All restraint will be taken off. And you'll be free to just be taken down into the utter depths and depths and depths and depths and depths of degradation. There'll be nothing to stop you. There'll be nothing to bring you back. Horrible, isn't it? horrible isn't it who in their right mind can possibly be blase about this it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God and that's why we read in scripture that God sent Jesus Christ 
not to condemn the world but to save the world he's not willing that any should perish he doesn't want this to happen to anybody but it will happen to everyone who does not believe and does not come and experience the new birth it will happen as certainly more certainly than tomorrow's sunrise what do you have to do to go to hell? just do nothing that's all you're sure to go just be carried along by the pressures of this life and you'll go there for sure but God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish should not perish see the heart of God is that none should perish but before we can enter into that eternal realm of heaven we've got to experience a mighty transformation we've got to be changed right round we've got to have a new nature, we've got to have a new life we've got to be made altogether new because that's the only kind of person that can inhabit eternal life that can inhabit heaven they've got to have the character and the nature of Jesus and the only one who can give you the character and the nature of Jesus is God himself by a miracle which the Bible calls a new birth and if that hasn't happened to you it's like trying to sort of uh, bring a giraffe into the humanist society he's of a different nature he may be a very clever giraffe but they don't accept giraffes in such a society because he's of the nature of the beast and human beings in the flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of God and the only way we can enter in is we must be born again and if we are born again then God is able to take our nature in whatever state it is take our life in whatever mess it's in and he's able to, to, to plant in us a glorious new seed of a whole new nature and a whole new life which grows and grows and grows and the result is we become born again of God and we begin to, to grow up in a new life which is called eternal life it's the very life of God planted into us by the Holy Spirit now that happened to me roughly 25 years ago and it's happened to many of us in this meeting now if anybody is in this meeting and it hasn't happened to you then don't leave this meeting until you know you've been born again it's a matter of heaven and hell beloved those of you that have got relatives and friends let the full weight of what I said drop down into your spirit and let it, let it become something of a new travail because you see, you see God wants to give us the Holy Spirit that in the power of the Spirit we might drag many many people out of the threat of hell into the security of heaven that's what we've been given the Holy Spirit for primarily not just for blessed meetings but by the power of God we might win many people out of the devil's clutches and bring them to Christ Amen. Let's get into these gifts of the Spirit. Let's learn to use them in evangelistic power so that we might save the nation from the, from the dirty, foul, filthy hands of the devil, beloved. Amen. We're so passive. We don't believe in heaven and we don't believe in hell. Not deeply enough to really let it move us, beloved. But that's the heart of God tonight. He wants to bring us to a new concern about these things. You know there's a way in which to a degree we can experience heaven now we can experience hell now. Not in its full measure but if we've been born again and if we know the power of the Spirit upon our lives then some of the benefits of heaven become ours already. We can experience healing for example. We can experience a peace and a joy which the world cannot give. 
It's not all pie in the sky by and by. There's a glorious now for those who've been born again, as well as an amazing future. Anybody who doesn't grab this with both hands must be mad. That's all I can say. Once my eyes were opened, I grabbed it with both hands, and I've never let go. And I never will. It's my, the burning passion of my life, beloved. You can also taste something very, very approximate. Something which is approximating the hell you can be in such a mess. So alone, so locked in, already gripped by sin. Already you can feel the power of that, that foul demonic spirit upon your life. But I tell you tonight, God can bring you out of your present level of hell and plant you into a new level of heaven this very night. God wants to heal people tonight. He wants to baptize them in the Holy Spirit, but most of all, he wants to save you. He wants you to be born again. He wants to take you out of the kingdom of darkness and translate you this very night into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, Nicodemus was a religious man. He was a Bible-believing man. He was a Bible-studying man. He was a God-fearing man, but he had not yet been born again. And if he had not been born again as he was, because we know in Scripture that he did come to that experience later on. If he had not been born again, he would have gone to hell, beloved, in spite of all his religious activity. And I feel there are people in that condition in this meeting tonight. You've got to know that new birth. And Nicodemus cried out, How? How can a man be born again? And then Jesus did something very strange. He said, Well, it's just like Moses being lifted up in the wilderness. And what he was talking about was a story back in the Old Testament when there was all these serpents were biting the people of, of Israel. They were being bitten and they were, they were dying of the poison of those snake bites. And they were getting all upset. And they said, well, what's the answer? And Moses went to God. God said, make a, a brazen serpent, stick it on the pole and put it in the middle of the camp. And everybody who looks at that pole, they're going to be cured of their snake bites. And you can imagine what people said in the camp. Oh, what a stupid idea. Let's think of it. My grandmother had a potion. Let's, let's try it. We get some herbs and we'll make a special mixture of snake bites. Some of them got into a corner and became very religious. They tried all sorts of different ways, but they all died, beloved. But those who looked according to the word of Moses just said, we're going to look at that pole and do what God said, and we're going to believe that somehow that's going to cure our poison. Those people were cured and they knew the power of God saving them from death. Now, it's a picture and a parable of what Jesus did for us at Calvary. You see, the whole human race has been bitten with the, with the poison of sin. We all of us are sinners to some degree. We all have the poison of sin in our lives. And the way you can tell is that you're not as nice as Jesus. You see, he's the only sinless one. Anybody who's less than Jesus in quality and character is a sinner. I was a sinner, and every one of you were sinners by nature. Every one of you were. Some of you still are. And Jesus was nailed to a cross and he was placed on that Calvary hill and God says, if you will look at Jesus hanging on a cross for your sins and you will believe, then I will be able to take away your sin, I will be able to save you from hell and I will put my eternal life into your heart and then from that day forward you're going to be born again and you're going to start to live a new life. How, says Nicodemus, Jesus, well it's like this, the spirit blows where he will, you can't explain it. It's like a wind blowing, it blows and you can tell where it's 
Well, you can hear the sound of it, but you can't tell where it's come from or where it's going. But you can feel the power of it. Now, essentially, it's impossible to describe how someone gets born again. It's so profound. It's like the Holy Spirit does inside us. But at the same time, it's so simple that anybody can be born again. All you've got to do is to take a look at Jesus hanging on a cross and say, Lord, tonight I'm going to believe that Jesus hung upon that cross to pay for my sins. That by his death upon the cross, in some mysterious way that I don't fully understand, you're able to take away my sin, forgive me my sin, and you're able to, to bring me into a relationship with God. And then if you open up your heart and say, Oh, Holy Spirit, you come into my life, then the Holy Spirit will come and he'll plant the, the seed of a new life inside you which will start to grow and grow and you'll start to change and change until you become recognisably different. And when God's finished with you, you'll be exactly like Jesus. Now it's foolish. And yet it's ever so simple. It's so profound that you can't explain it. And yet anybody, even a little child, can take the act of faith which will bring them into new birth. Because as we say, looking at the cross, say, Lord, I believe. I believe you died there for me. And I'm going to cast my faith upon what Jesus did for me at Calvary. Then God will work by his Holy Spirit. A miracle will take place in your heart. And you will know the power of God bringing you to new birth. And you won't really be able to explain it. You just know it's happened. And from that day forward, you will have eternal life. From that day forward, you have already passed from death to life. From that day forward, you've already passed away from judgment. You will not come into condemnation. He that believes, said Jesus, has eternal life. But he that does not believe has been judged already. And you can do all the good works, you can sing in as many choirs as you like, you can attend as many church meetings as you wish to, you can try and do so many good works, you can read your Bible, you can pray, but if you refuse to be born again, then eventually your eternal destination will be hell and not heaven. If you just turn around tonight say, well I don't really understand it, but I know in my heart that I've got to respond to what that man says. And I tell you, as you come forward and respond to God, God's going to give you a brand new life. And your eternal destination is going to be heaven. And all the glory and the wonder of it is going to be yours as a free gift through Jesus Christ. Let's pray, Charlie. Let's pray. Oh, Father. Lord, I pray that you will, with mighty power, fulfill your two objectives in this meeting tonight. That you will save people. That men and women who came into this meeting, and young people, who were not born again, that they will be born again tonight by the power of your spirit as they come to Calvary in simple faith and say Lord Jesus I'm just going to believe in you I'm going to believe as I look at Jesus lifted up 
for my sin I'm going to believe Lord God do your miracle in those who respond in this way we pray translate them from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God well I pray for every one of us who's heard this message tonight that we will be deeply convicted about the reality of hell and the reality of heaven and in a new way we will pray and witness to save many, many people out of the devil's clutches. Because Lord, you are not willing that any should perish, but that all, all should come to repentance. Oh God, may we in a new way move in real compassion for the lost. Father, I pray that many tonight are going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit with new power and vigor. They're going to bear witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that many gifts of the Spirit will be manifested in people's lives. And Father, I pray that you will move in mercy and power and that you will heal. That you will give us a taste of the heavenly realm by taking off each and every one who's afflicted with sickness. You'll take that sickness off their body and you'll glorify Jesus in this, this way tonight, Lord. I pray for your power to come down and for signs and wonders to be done in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Now we're going to sing a closing song. This won't be the closing song, but it'll be the introduction to the next part of the meeting. We're going to sing Jesus, I enthrone you. It's going to be sung personally. Although the words may be, where you sing it, I, Jesus, I enthrone you, I proclaim you my King. Standing here in the midst of us, I lift you up with my praise. And then we're all going to stand as we sing this, and then those of you who need to be born again, God's spoken to you tonight, and you've identified with Nicodemus, and you said, oh, that's me, I need to be born again. And you just come straight forward. You just stand on my left, that is on your right, stand on that side there, and then we're going to be able to pray with you and just feel this most important transaction of your life. I promise you that God is going to receive you and you will go out of this meeting knowing that you've received eternal life and knowing that your eternal destination is now heaven. It will happen as quickly as that if you come forward and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite those of you who need the power of the Holy Spirit. You need to be baptised in the Holy Spirit so you might be effective witnesses for Jesus. I want you to come forward so the power of God may come upon you tonight and you may go out from this place powerfully equipped to be witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. You come and I want you to stand in the centre section here. Alright, is that clear? On the left. The people here to obey your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Let them come forward in the release of the Spirit in Jesus' name. Hallelujah and Amen. Let's sing it and you start coming straight away. Jesus.